0: I have said before that preaching during the Christmas season is always challenging because you feel like you're hemmed into a certain portion of Scripture. But it is important to review the coming of the Lord, and uh, and so I'm always asking the Lord, Lord, give me something fresh, new, important that the people will cling to as we one more time review. The important story. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to Matthew's Gospel again. I'm going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 1 here momentarily. Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to be talking about the inspiration of incarnation. The inspiration of incarnation. Uh, how many of you have ever seen the commercial on television from Ancestry.com? about uh, taking your dna and swabbing your mouth sending it off and finding the area of ethnicity you're from Uh, has anybody seen that besides me have you seen that on television ancestry.com really is kind of an interesting website because obviously it expanded and enlarged what it was doing because before Uh, it was a genealogy website. You could go on there and you, if you knew a couple of your, you know, your parents, your grandparents, you could begin to explore your genealogy and find out where you came from and uh, who you might be related to. And now they've expanded it to be able to do DNA tests to show you exactly what ethnicities are inside of you and running around in you. And and, and that is interesting because, uh, as you see the commercial, people find out, I didn't even know. I always thought I was from here, but I'm actually from there. And it fascinates me that people are really interested in their background to that degree. Um, Ancestry.com is this opportunity to find out who you're connected to, who you're related to. And I guess the reason we like this so much is maybe because we all secretly hope we're related to somebody important. Maybe a king or somebody of note. And and so these types of possibilities, I think, run around in our mind, you know, who was our, our, our kin, who was a great, 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 great granddad. You've heard me tell the story before that I found out that in my family tree, uh, one of the people that came over here was was a Presbyterian pastor from Scotland who came over on a boat he actually had a set of commentaries that I had for years that are saltwater stained because of that. And uh, what well, we're going to have a little choir music is as... <laughs> that's okay. Worship was so great today I couldn't even be aggravated with you. all. So. it's just a, it's a Christmas miracle, is what it is. It's a. <laughs> but he came across the ocean in in a boat. He was a Presbyterian pastor. And I don't know much about him besides that. But somewhere along the line, the bairds, you know, they, they, they weren't necessarily the spiritual branch. But then along comes the Lord and he plucks me kind of out of the tree and uh, redeems me, gets a hold of me. And I had no idea at the time of my salvation that that was even in my heritage. But, but he plucks me out and then slowly... Uh, The reverberation of that salvation begins to shake the family tree and so people are getting touched and and born again and and the family tree is one more time being transplanted into righteousness And, and it wasn't all too long ago that I found out that that was my heritage and there's something in that that you can see the hand of God. That there was this Presbyterian great, 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 great grandfather, pastor who who came across for whatever reasons to America, maybe as a missionary, I don't know, I don't know the story, I can only imagine the story, but he comes across the ocean to America and somewhere along the way, the the, the family lineage gets sidetracked, but how many of you know the hand of God shows up in the family tree again, and it's just an encouragement. So I guess maybe in people's minds, uh, they like to know kind of where they're from and all the stories all the stories behind that and as you see the Gospel of Matthew especially in chapter 1 I'm not gonna read to you the first 17 verses although I'm gonna say some things about these first 17 verses because you see Jesus family tree you see the genealogy now I thought about reading the genealogy and preaching from the genealogy today and I thought how excited you all would be with that can anything good come from a genealogy I'm not going to do that, though, to you because Matthew is setting something up here, the genealogy, because he's going to get into verse 18, and and that's where I do want to read some things to you, kind of to set the stage to help you understand why these things were put in there, why it's important to you and me to know these things and and how relevant it is to all of our lives. So if you have Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, if you're there, say, I'm there, all right, let's... Let's read, it'll be put on the screen as well, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now understand there's some things that are being explained, even scientifically, to Joseph right now. He's saying to Joseph, I realize that neither you nor anyone else has had physical intimate relationship with Mary, but she's pregnant. And she's pregnant not because she's been unfaithful or that she's strayed or wandered, but she's pregnant because the Holy Spirit Himself has come inside of her and because of the seed of the Word has implanted her, and now that which is inside of her is of God. And it says here that she will bring forth in verse 21 a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, and then the angel is quoting Isaiah. Isn't it good to know that angels quote the Bible? Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, hear this, those three words are game-changing words. God with us. That changes everything. God with us. The inspiration of the incarnation. Now all of you know there are four gospel accounts and each gospel writer writes their accounts with a particular audience in mind. Now, I understand the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired this, but the Holy Spirit, in inspiration, uses human beings, and He used these early writers in such a way that the Holy Spirit superintends the very Word of God through their personality, through their perspectives, in such a way He overshadows them that when they begin to write, they write the very Word of God. They're writing God's very thoughts. And each one, as the Holy Spirit has inspired them, is being used of God in order to write a particular audience. For example, and I'll come back to this in just a moment, Matthew, when he was writing, was in particular writing to the Jews because the Jews were going to have to understand some things in order for them to receive the Gospel. Now if you go to the book of Mark and you begin to read the book of Mark, you'll see that Mark talks a lot about the kingdom and power. And, and, and most scholars believe Mark was being used to write to the Romans. You have Luke. Luke was the doctor. Uh, the doctor dealt with a lot of healing and miracles in his accounts. And, and again, scholars think that the, the the general audience for Luke was that of the Greeks or the Gentiles. Uh, Because they would have to be confronted with issues concerning what they considered to be deity. And and he would have to challenge that as he would begin to explain Christ's deity. And then finally you have John. and, And John was used in order to maybe put out some more doctrinal things. And most believe that he was writing to those who would be the first fruit into the very church of jesus christ himself so i tell you that simply to say that the reason we have these four gospel accounts i had people come to me and say why do we have four accounts and why don't all of them say the same thing and some overlap and why is this and basically it's because god was using each one to reach some people different groups of people it's just like today Uh, god will use different Preachers and teachers and pastors, and maybe there are certain gospel accounts that resonate better with you. It's, it's his way of reaching people. He's not hemmed into just one mode. So Matthew, in order to be effective and to reach this target audience of Jews, was going to have to begin to elaborate uh, concerning Jesus' pedigree and his background. The Jews had this thing about lineage. Uh, They understood the scripture, they understood uh, what God said all through the prophets concerning the coming of the Messiah, and this lineage was going to have to prove in their mind that Jesus was linked to the right people he was supposed to be linked to in order to officially be the Messiah, and he was going to have to have this kingly as well as priestly uh, uh, heritage or DNA in order for him to rightly lay claim to the throne of God himself and be the Messiah. And so the Jews would have necessity had to have seen this genealogy, which is why Matthew, being used of the Holy Spirit, has written down all of these names and all of these so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. Now, now as we're talking about this, understand that the Messiah was going to function... Uh, in much the same way the high priest was going to function in the Old Testament for the people of God. Uh, The Hebrew writer will help us in the book of Hebrews make the connection between Jesus the high priest as Savior uh, and how that is analogous to the high priest of the Old Testament. Now there are two things, two important qualifications in order to be a high priest. Number one was this. The high priest was the one that had access to God. Now understand, even in the Old Testament, the people themselves, we we would see glimmers of grace, we would. And we would see glimmers of this access that would take place outside of what God had laid down with regards to temple worship. But by and large, for the people to access God, they accessed the Lord through the high priest and that sacrificial system. Most of us know this. And so for a high priest to be a high priest, he had the ability to access God. So that would be important to them. Can the Messiah actually access the Lord? The second thing was the high priest had to have the ability to identify and sympathize with the people. In other words, the high priest would be the one that would gather up Uh, animals, blood, all the sacrifices. He would be the one that would gather all of this up. And on behalf of the people, because he could identify with the people, he could sympathize with the people, he was the one that could stand before God and say, Oh God, here's the blood, now forgive the people. So you're following me. These things would be important to the Jewish mindset. And not just anybody can be high priest. Not just anybody can stumble along and do these things. So this genealogy becomes critical for these these Jewish uh, uh, seekers to begin to understand how Jesus could be both God and man. He had to be God in order to interact with them, but he had to be man in order to sympathize with us. And so I want to review just a couple of things, and I realize most of the time we come to church for inspiration. There's nothing wrong with inspiration, and I'm going to get hopefully to some inspiration before the morning's over. I also want you to know that at the first of the year, I got this really crazy smart board back in the office there that somebody gave me. And it's like it's scratching every teaching itch I have right now. Because you can mark on it, and then you can, and it's all electronic, it's all computerized, it's really cool. And so I'm going to be able to just underline and write and make arrows and draw pictures and you all will be amazed. Hear me. We don't just need inspiration. You need taught. My people perish, the Lord said, for lack of knowledge, not for lack of inspiration. The church isn't dying on the vine because it lacks inspiration. It's dying because it's lost teaching. It's lost understanding. It's lost its ability to to hear the word and apply it and connect dots. All right, I won't get off on that. That wasn't in my notes. Those are free. A couple things, though, I want to underscore that are super important. And uh, so just bear with me, okay? This is the part that may not seem important. It will be in just a minute. The first one is the word incarnation. The word incarnation. The word incarnation, I put it on the screen, is in its definition, an embodiment in the flesh of a deity. So when God becomes man, we call that incarnation. After Matthew proves Jesus' humanity and lineage, he then tells the story here in verse 18 that I read to you of how God and man linked together. Because that's what he's teaching. He's teaching incarnation. And the Jews are going to ask, how in the world can this God become man? How all of this is going to work? And he tells the story. He says, Mary, who had sex with nobody, gets pregnant by God himself because the Holy Spirit himself comes and conceives Jesus inside of her, which is very important. Because the Bible tells us that in Adam all have sinned. So that means all of us here in this room are sinners. I know that's, you can't hardly say that anymore in the day and age we live in. How dare you call me a sinner? I mean, listen, this is theology. In Adam, we have all sinned. Why is that? Because every procreation that has taken place down through the years has passed along the seed of man to you and me. Male or female, some, we all had a daddy here. I know this is running against modern secular biology. We all had a daddy, and we all had a mommy. And the seed was passed along, and in that seed, each of us contracted the disease from Adam. In Adam, we all have sinned. But here's the thing about Jesus that makes him different. His seed wasn't from Adam. His seed was from his daddy. So you understand, Jesus comes into this thing different incarnation. And so Matthew begins to talk about incarnation. And he begins to give this text of this amazing story that's taking place here. And this is the second word that seems like this big word. And I know some of you are saying, I didn't come here to go to school. I didn't come here to go to college. I didn't come here to do Bible college, pastor. I just, I just want to be inspired. Listen to me. I, I want you to be inspired, but your inspiration will last until tomorrow at about 4.30 and then it's gone I want you to be taught so that it'll take you through the week and the years hypostatic Union don't don't shy away you are and there's no test on this but that that phrase has to deal with how these two natures human and divine are inseparable Jesus was fully God he was 100 percent God and he was one hundred percent man. He was not mixed or diluted in either. This is what really is mind blowing. He was united without losing either identity. And this is really hard. You're saying, man, this is hard, Pastor. I mean, you mean he's always God all the time, fully God. Yes. And he's he's always human all the time, fully human. He's that too. Yes. I understand. If you're going to slip into your normal rationalities and logic, you'll go tilt. But he was one person, the only person to have ever existed as one person who had two natures. Now you say, why does this matter? Now we're going to get into the inspiration part, all right? You ready to get into the inspiration part? Come on, download me, download me some excitement. Why does it even matter? It's because up to this time... God, to people, related to them mostly, and this is another big word, but hear me, mostly as a transcendent God. What that means is, is that for most people up to this time, God was this holy other. He was beyond comprehension. He was out there somewhere, but God is, is just, I mean, He's God. God is God, and I'm not God, And and how... How can I even understand? He knows more. He he sees more. He can be everywhere. I mean, God, think of all the things that God is that you're not. And there is this transcendent God. And I mean, how in the world can I even know Him or relate to Him or get any understanding to Him? I mean, I would be like this amoeba compared to God. I mean, God... To me, I mean, there's not even a comparison. There's not anything close. And this is how, this is how the people understood and related to God for years. But now all of a sudden, when there's incarnation or when Jesus shows up, transcendence also becomes, as another word, eminence. And eminence means that he is completely relatable. So He's not just this God who's out there, who, who is distant, and I can't get a hold of, but all of a sudden, I see His face. I can hear His words. I can, I can, I can see emotion. He walks with me. He talks with me. He gets me. He understands what goes on inside of me. Think about this. When God would tell the people things, when he was just transcendent, how easy it would be for you and me to go, that's easy for you to say. You tell me to do all these things, and you're God, and you're clueless, God. You don't know what it's like to be me. Because you're God. And all that changed with incarnation. Jesus steps into Human flesh and he begins to be this completely relatable God who now gets now I'm going to I'm going to parse this carefully but he now steps in and you can no longer say you don't get what I'm going through I often tell people this all the time And when they're they're facing a challenge or they're facing an injustice or an unfairness and they're going, nobody understands, nobody gets it. Where is God? You know where God is when you're in your injustice? He's remembering back to when he was on his cross and he was in his injustice. Don't tell me he doesn't get injustice or unfairness. Don't tell me that. He gets it. And he conquered it. And you can too. Are 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 you seeing where we're going here? So, let me tell you practically what that means, all right? Practically, this means, I put three things down here. Number one is this. Practically, it means that God understands. Now, I know people have challenged me through the years, and you're saying, are you telling me that there, there was a time God didn't, God didn't know or see? No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that you can... How do I want to say this? That you you can watch, a, let's say, a news account of, of uh, a special forces guy or a, a, a Navy SEAL who is going and doing some special op. And, and as they're doing this special op, uh, you can watch it happening. One of my favorite shows, by the way, has become that show's called Seal. I hadn't watched it in several weeks now, but I like it because it just shows what all these special op guys do and it's really interesting to me. And and I can understand, in other words, I can watch that show and I can kind of understand what they're doing. And I can understand like how you qualify for that and how you have to be prepped for that. I can understand all those things, but that's a different understanding that, than if you dropped me in Afghanistan and said, "Now you go run into that building." Are you following? you understand differently at that moment now god understands already everything and he did prior to jesus but this understanding now with incarnation comes at a whole nother level if you would have looked at god before jesus came and said you understand i'm being tempted god would say well yeah i understand that you're not me and you're being tempted but it's different i I, I mean, this is just me. I just, I just believe that there's a, there was a difference that took place when incarnation happened. Even, even in God's relatability, I, I just, I know, I know some people that are probably watching by Facebook Live are freaking out with me saying that. But, but He understands. That's why incarnation happened. Number two, because of that, He cares. He, he cares. Now He cared before, but I mean, He cares because He understands he he weeps with you do you understand when when Lazarus had died Jesus wept at that moment he wept over Jerusalem he cares he understands he's not this compassionless god who's just waiting up there with his big club waiting to beat everybody and wipe everybody out do you understand if that were god he would have wiped us out a long time ago had plenty of reason to but he cares It's not in his nature to want to just wipe things out. His his holiness ultimately will have to be vindicated in his justice. But I'm telling you, he's long-suffering and compassionate, and he cares, and he understands. Because of the third one, he has experienced it. I think the most relatable passage of recent years to me as I read the Gospels with Jesus in it The most relatable passage to me is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying. And you know the story. He's he's kneeling, at least I'm envisioning, he's kneeling. Jesus is praying about what's about ready to take place. And it says he begins to sweat, drops of blood. Biologists tell us it's because the stress on him was so great, the capillaries in his face were bursting. You understand, this is God... And man, praying, sweating blood. His capillaries are bursting. And he says, the greatest scripture of late, in, at least it's ministered to me, he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass. And you know, I think what he was saying, he was saying this, if there's any way I can get out of this, is there any way we don't have to go through with this? Is there any way this redemption thing can happen and I don't have to do the cross? Now, maybe, maybe I'm taking too much liberty with it, but but that's what he meant. He, it, it, can, this, can this pass? Can this thing that's in front of me pass? But then there was this thing inside of him that yielded that said, nevertheless, not my will, but God's be done. That has helped me because I can tell you there have been times I've been on my knees. Can't say that I've ever sweat blood. But I tell you what, my stomach has been in knots, it's been churning in me, and it's just not over, just, you know, forsaking a temptation. I'm talking about, are are you willing to do the will of God? Are you willing to really preach that sermon? Are you really willing to confront that person? Are you really willing to do this? Are you really willing to do it? Lord, if this cup could pass, I sure enough wish it would. And unfortunately, we're living in an era where there are a lot of people who aren't asking God to pass the cup. They're just passing the cup. But there comes that moment when you say, but I I must do the will of God. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And I can't get up and say, God, you don't get it, because God will look right back at me and say, oh, no, 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 I get it. I understand exactly what it is that's being said here, because he's experienced it. He's experienced it. Now maybe that doesn't do anything spiritually inside of you, but incarnation fires me up. It's because because Jesus becomes this unique connection between God and man. He becomes this this completely relatable Savior who when He deals with us is not dealing with us from this place of just raw power, but but He's dealing with us from this place of total relationship and relatability he looks at you and he looks at me and sometimes he asks us to do some challenging things and when he asks us to do those challenging things it's not because he doesn't get it he gets it exactly and that's why he says I will never leave you nor forsake you I will walk with you I've already been through this by the way so I can walk with you that's why incarnation just becomes this incredible inspiration to me now, I laid all that groundwork down to finally get back briefly now to the genealogy. What's that have to do with the genealogy? What does all this have to do with understanding sort of why the genealogy, why was it put in here, what does it say to me? Whenever I read the Gospels, I just skip the genealogy. I don't even read the genealogy. I just go right through. It's like Leviticus. I get to Leviticus, and they're just sections I just go, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. That's what the genealogy kind of does to me, too. Half the names I can't pronounce. Do you understand? Do you understand for me to read, even for I'm I'm not saying I'm all that bright, but do you understand with all those names in there? Do you understand what a that is like a steeplechase to read through that? That is, that is that is like anybody that can read that and get every one of those names right first time through would be amazing so so what's the big deal I want to tell you about this genealogy and there's just gonna be three quick things and then we're I think we're gonna wrap it up with those three quick things but they just really spoke to me out of this genealogy and incarnation and what the Lord was saying to me this week in the Christmas story and number one is this the family tree does not determine my destiny The family tree does not determine my destiny. If you'll read and could study all of those names in the genealogy that eventually got to Jesus, you will find out that some of those people in the family tree were like really rascally. They were like scoundrels. They were like people who uh, didn't have great character. And yet out of that family tree comes the savior of the world, Jesus. Now, that's really important to me because sometimes I think there are people who believe that they are somehow bound to their family tree. I don't know what your family tree looks like. I won't pick on your family tree. I told you a little bit about my family tree. But I tell you, we've got a few characters in our family tree. Some of you have characters in your family tree. Some of those characters might be your mom and dad. Maybe they were grandpa and grandma or great grandma and grandpa. Maybe there's some cousins or some uncles or some aunts. You've got, you've got some real characters in your family tree. In fact, some of you might say my whole family tree is a character. (laughs) I mean, mean, my tree is, I have the crazy tree. Maybe that's you. I don't know. Not picking on the family trees. I simply tell that to you to say this. That whatever your family tree is, it does not determine your destiny. God uses crazy trees and crazy people. I can tell you in my family tree there were some crazy people. And God used those crazy people to beget someone who begot another person who finally begot me. God used some craziness to get to me. And out of that craziness, he might even use me to do something of great importance. His destiny. And here's the inspiration the inspiration is in the incarnation, is that God is saying, if I can do this with Jesus, if I can use the lunatics in the world to finally get a Savior out there, how much more can I do it for you? That's some inspiration. That means your daddy and your mama don't control your future. Your family tree isn't dictating what's ahead of you. Some people need to hear this. There are people who have lived three, four, five generations in poverty. And their mentality is, I'm always going to live here. It's always going to be this way. I will never get out of this. My mama and my daddy was poor. My grandparents were poor. Everybody's been poor. I'm going to be poor. No, you're not. You are not destined to your family tree you are destined to his purposes are you following me now that could get you wound up you're not bound to your family tree i had i had you could say i had i had parents that had mental illnesses i had parents that had uh, poor character. I had parents that ran around on each other. I had you can go down the list of all the things, and you could say, and the reason he did it is because his his dad did it, and the reason his dad did it is because his dad did it. And I'm here to tell you that the family tree does not determine your destiny. In fact, I became convinced that when God saved me, that there was something that I that I had a part in transplanting my family tree out of the landfill and transplanting it into righteousness and maybe that's what God wants to use you for too is that you're one of the seeds in the tree that's going to uproot that out of whatever landfill it's sitting in so that you can begin to see that tree flourish in righteousness I can't change I can't change all the branches that are on it but the new branches that are coming from it I have a shot at changing amen the family tree does not determine my destiny number two it speaks to me that the Lord works generationally the Lord works generationally what do I mean by that I mean that that God's plans sometimes take longer than 24 hours when we pray I, I, we secretly, I think, hope, I know I do, I'll just be transparent. A lot of times when I pray, I secretly hope that God will deal with this tomorrow. God, I want you to, I want you to do this tomorrow. I, I can give you a couple days, I maybe even can extend to you a week. But it would be best if we got this going. You know what this says? It says God works generationally. He could have sent a Savior into the earth 24 hours after Adam and Eve sinned. He could have. He could have sent a Savior at any moment through those thousands of years from creation, finally, to the birth of Jesus. Any time in there, I suppose he could have done it. But God works generationally. I don't always know or understand why He takes his time. I'm I'm sure a lot of it has to deal with issues of repentance and character formation and all sorts of other things besides me because I am not the center of everything God is looking at, even though we think we are. Sometimes what God is doing, listen, and this is important, especially those of you, I'm just going to use myself as an example. I was one of the first that were plucked out of my tree and God did a work in me, and he called me to the ministry. And and I'm, to the best of my ability, I'm going to obey him with every fiber of my being, every ounce of my passion, until the moment he calls me home or he shows up. I'm going to keep doing it. Listen to me. There are a lot of things that I would have liked to have seen, and who knows, I may yet see. I don't know. Everything's in God's hands. But hear me when I say this, that there are things that, whether I see it or not, doesn't diminish the importance I have In God's call I had children. I have I had three children four children actually one's already in heaven but but three of my children and and all of my children are important and I believe they have destinies on their lives And and how many of you know that my children have the opportunity to do more go further? Obey in greater measure and see the blessing and the purposes of God manifest in ways that will be far beyond What happened to their old dad? Now think about this, when they have children, and let's just say I have one grandson right now, his name is Jude. I'm not calling Jude to the ministry, but let's just consider this for a moment. There's there's Kevin, who God called to be a pastor. There was Clay, who has been called to be a pastor. And there's Jude. Jude will now be a third generation, potentially, pastor. Now I'm not calling him, I don't know that God's going to call him. I don't know, but I'm just saying, I'll potentially our uh, 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 potential uh, you know with potential that 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 god may do that think about that god's working generationally his purposes so that it might impact the earth in such a way that that his grand plan may come to pass. And and hear me now, I may not see everything that I would have hoped or liked to have seen, but that doesn't mean that, that God's work is any less important as he begins to work generationally down through us and through our offspring in order for his plans to come to pass. Now, I know it sounds quiet in here, but right now that kind of thing really inspires me because one of these days somebody's going to do some research if Jesus tarries somebody's going to do some research when I'm long gone and they're gonna trace it back like I did to that Presbyterian pastor on that ship and they're gonna see that there was a man in Charleston South Carolina who God used to maybe some small measure to accomplish his will but it started this generational effect that begins to impact a region or an area, a state or a nation, in an amazing way. God works generationally. I understand for some of you, you have great hopes and dreams, and boy, I sure want them to come to pass for you too. And and God's amazing how He'll do that, and He will bless you, and I'm not discounting that, but, but go beyond yourself and see yourself as a stepping stone for your progeny that can go farther than you and do more than you. God works generationally. That's what that genealogy tells me. I didn't read it all to you, but it's still true. And then the third thing is this. Nobody is insignificant. There are a few of these names. If I were to read them to you, you would say, I know them. I thought, I, I think I, I saw the name Solomon in here. I see Boaz. few of you would know Boaz. Isaac, I see his name in here. Um, But I could read you a bunch of names here. Do you know Joram or Rehoboam? I mean, you may have heard it briefly. Um, uh, 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 Let me see if I can pronounce this. Aminadab. How many of you know Aminadab? Tell me about Aminadab. Anybody here can tell me about Aminadab right now? Nobody. Bishop knows him. You know him, though, don't you? That's not fair. I got. I got. got. I got I to up, uptick my reading to catch up with you. All right. Does anybody beside Bishop Fred know about minadab? All right. Now, uh, Je- 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 Jeconiah, or Jaconiah? Je- I don't even know. See, I can't even pronounce it. Eliakim. You you, you ever heard of any, you haven't heard any of these, have you? You heard a few of them, but you haven't heard of all of them. Hear me though, none of these guys are insignificant. They're in the genealogy. What's your name? Because I'm here to tell you, you're not insignificant. You're not insignificant to God. You may feel at times insignificant, but how would you like, how would you like to have been immoralized in a book that is forever established in the heavens? I don't know who Aminadab is, but his name is written in a book that will last forever. And I suspect back in his day, there were probably people who were saying the same thing you and I are saying, Amenadab who? Amenadab? No, I don't know what Aminadab. I knew it in Menahia over there, over, you know, across the river, but never in a Who's he? Hey, his name is forever established in the word of God. In the heavens, nobody is significant. You are not insignificant. You have been called and touched by God. If, if you have responded to his, his call and his outreach and his wooing, he knows you by name you are not insignificant and right now god is doing something through you and through me and through us he is doing something of such magnitude that it may feel at this moment as we sit in this place to be somehow insignificant but i'm telling you there are eternal nation-shaking purposes that are beginning to manifest city shaking i believe that with all of my heart Because God delights in taking that which seems insignificant to the world and calling it significant. That's why he chose Bethlehem and not Jerusalem. That's why he chose David and not his brothers. That's why he pulls out these faceless, nameless people and he says, I'm going to use them because I love calling what the world says is insignificant and declaring it to be significant. I'm telling you, everyone here is significant. This church is significant this people is significant you are significant I don't feel like it right now I feel pretty ordinary well I understand but we haven't remember we're not walking by what we feel we're walking by what what we know this is this this is the this is the stuff that incarnation is wrapped around all of these all of these thoughts I'm gonna end with this some of you still remember uh, some of you may know just because you knew Legacy at one time. In fact, we spent 10 years, a decade over at Sam Rittenberg. And uh, when we were in that location, I remember walking into the church facility uh, one morning. It was pretty early morning uh, that I got there that day. No one else had arrived yet. And it was in the early days of renovating that whole facility and there were in the brick in certain places some holes that would eventually have to be you know filled in and covered up but you know for now they we didn't think they were all that important but on this particular morning we found out how important it was to get those holes filled up because a a bird a sparrow had literally gotten into the into the building and it was flying around that open area atrium area when you first walked in and I'm watching this bird fly around, man. I'm in there, and it's just, it's going nuts. It's going crazy, you know, because it's, it's locked in. It, whatever hole it got in, it couldn't figure out that's the hole to get out of. And I'm going, oh, this is great. Everybody, everybody comes to church today, and we have a live bird in the atrium. What do you do with that? You know, do you, do you, say, do you say, it's a sign. It's a dove. It's actually a dark dove. It's the Holy Ghost. You know, what do you do with that? I don't know what you do with that. This bird's flying around. I'm sitting there going, oh, great. No, I, no, we couldn't do that because this bird, if this bird keeps going like this, he's going to drop something on somebody here in a minute. And that, these are all, this is what's spinning in my brain. I'm saying, what in the world uh, could we do? And, and I started thinking at that moment, and, and I'll tell you the end of the story as well. But I started thinking at that moment because you'd, you'd try, he'd, he'd like come down and he'd land somewhere and, and you'd try to sneak up on him. You know, but I, I, I really didn't have anything to catch him with. You know, I got a bucket. I think I got actually a trash bucket or something because I was going to try to catch him. You know, how do you catch a bird? Well, by the time you'd get close to him, you know, it's like that's, he'd be like standing at the windowsill because he could see outside. i would thinking, man, keep your head looking that way. I'm going to. But about the time you get close, he'd shake, he'd go off again. And I remember thinking this. I was thinking, if it, if it were possible, because he's, he's panicked, he's obviously scared, he's, he's probably traumatized, and I started thinking, if I, if, I, if I could become like him, I could get him out of this place. I know how to get out of this place. If somehow this human... Could become that bird, and I could retain all my knowledge, and then I just know bird speak. I could go tweet tweet, and he could translate it this way. I could get him out of here, but I couldn't do that, obviously. You understand? That's incarnation, it's God looking at us and saying, These people are traumatized, they're enslaved. They're under the dominion, they're captured. If I become like them, I can get them out. That's incarnation. You know what happened to that bird? I'm gonna tell you what happened to that bird because what happened to that bird is the same thing that happens to a lot of people. That bird was flying around until finally, if you can imagine that being a window, it, it flew as hard as it could fly and it went, Poof, and it hit that window and it, and it fell right on the ground. And I thought, oh no, it's dead. But I was finally able to get up close to it, and, and I could see, no, he was still breathing. He knocked himself out, but he was still breathing. So I could put the trash bin over him, but the only way I could get him out was I had to slide it along the ground until I slid it over to the door uh, going outside, and I slid it over the door going outside, and I was able then to take it off of him, and the minute I took it off of him, he, was able, he flew away. So we saved the day with the bird. But hear me when I say that For incarnation you either have the opportunity to respond to this Jesus who is very God who incarnated himself in order to save you and me or you will fly headlong into some bricks and someone will have to maybe get you scoop you out are you hearing the illustration it doesn't there there's there some breakdowns in it but that's the power of incarnation that's 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 the power of saying god became like me in order to set me free that's the inspiration of incarnation amen stand with me will you